This week on The Clappers, your one-stop shop for mansplaining, for griping about white male privilege, for mere culpas. This week, you get to hear about the great. You get to hear about search party. You get to hear about the least expected day. And you get to hear about Woody Allen's much delayed, and maybe it should have stayed that way, a rainy day in New York. All this on The Clappers. The Great is a television show that has been renewed for a second series. I think it has ten episodes. Tell me about The Great. Speaking of names, it's about a woman. Oh, this is about Catherine the Great. Yes. Yeah, who who will eventually become Catherine the Great, I presume. She's not yet Catherine the Great, though she's trying to get it to roll off people's tongues every now and again. She's deeply unpopular, foreign princess who comes to marry the Tsar Peter, who is also not the Great. He's the unremembered son of Peter the Great. And it's hilarious. First off, it is hilarious. And it is about a young woman trying to find her feet in a hostile environment where she is the second most powerful, maybe third most powerful person there, but is unloved and disliked by almost everybody in the court. She's been imported from Austria, I think, to marry the Tsar and provide him with an heir, which she fails to do throughout the series. She assembles a a retinue of misfits and and rapscallions to help her uh, become the Empress of Russia, she's decided, and this isn't very well explained, I don't think, but but one minute she's a a naive ingenue, shocked at the excesses and the rapacity of the Russian court, and the next thing, she is Russia. She feels Russia, she wants to be Russia, Uh, she sees her husband doing a terrible job, which he is, and uh, decides that he must be uh, dealt with, assassinated, and assembles a crew to do it. And much hijinks ensue. It is so funny. I can't believe it, actually, how funny it is. Uh, I I won't say I had tears pouring out of my eyes with laughter, but there is a a lot of brutality, cruelty and laughs in this show. So it's created by um, Tony McNamara, who is is an Australian. um, He is. Although he lives in the UK. Not a Scotsman. uh, And he, he of course, wrote uh, The Favourite, the August Lanthimos film, with um, your... Favourite? Yes. What's her name? Collie. Collie. <laughs> I call her Collie. Ollie Collie, as I, I call prefer Collie. to call her. Olivia <laughs> Coleman. Um, <laughs> but others as, others as well, I was a little too close to the microphone, who are also excellent in that film, including Nicholas Hult, who has this brief moment where he pushes her into a ditch. Of course, Emma yes, Stone, yes. And he plays the Tsar Peter the Mediocre in this. And he is just hilarious. He's this great mix of malevolence and charm and uh, stupidity. It's a a very funny, very funny role that he's got for himself. I've always liked watching him in things and and often he's in things for a a brief moment and they're the things like in uh, a single man. He's at the very, very end, briefly and offers some happiness and redemption to poor Colin Firth in that film. He's great in it. Everyone's great in this. So uh, it, it, Nicholas Holt in The Favourite plays that foppish, uh, what is he, a parliamentarian, I think you'd call uh, him? Um, I, I Harley. Can't rem- Harley, yeah, he's called Lord yeah. Harley. And um, 
and so he's he is in this. He's the Tsar, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So he's on the screen for um, at least half the time, you know, and and he is is you what you're happy to see him there, you know. Have you seen the True History of the Kelly Gang? Or sorry, True History? Drop the yeah, definite article. I, I watched the trailer. I thought no. Yeah, well, you know, just okay. So no. I think the correct answer to that is no. Just no, you haven't seen it. <laughs> I've seen the trailer, but, so but, no. You know, if just you choose no. to be one of those people, Andrew, who watches judgment on the world without actually engaging with it, then well, so be it. Welcome to that's Twitter. True. Welcome to Twitter. <laughs> anyway. I logged into Twitter today for the first time. I, I keep forgetting that I'm on Twitter hmm. and then I'll go, oh, that's right, and I've lost my password and I'll have to start all over again. And I actually found my password and I logged on to Twitter. I, I didn't derive any great benefit from it, but I logged on and then logged off a couple of minutes later. Right. Well, that was an interesting story. <laughs> it is. It's an interesting story of lethargy and ennui in this uh, lockdown process where even social media is failing to engage us. I, uh, can I just say, I think the world yeah. would be an infinitely better place if mm. more people were afflicted with this viral ennui that you experienced today <laughs> and didn't post on Twitter. I think the world would be infinitely better. So you are such an interesting fellow. I, I might almost say a hypocrite in that I'm... <laughs> Getting lambasted for not engaging with the world by watching not the trailer but the true history. And then on the other hand, I'm being slapped on the back and being held up as an example to all for not engaging with the world. Well, see, my point is that mm. the, the Twitter is full of people who cast judgment on things. Okay. Uh, stories where they've only read the headline, right? right. Or, yep. you know... Whatever it might be, you know, some some comedian gets slated for something that they allegedly said. They don't bother to actually engage with whether they've actually said it. People are always saying, "Oh, I've heard that film is terrible," or "This this thing is bad." Whatever it might be, they yeah. haven't actually seen it. They're happy to parrot judgments that somebody else has made, whether those yep. judgments are accurate or otherwise. Mm. They don't they don't feel the need to actually engage with the thing itself. They only engage with the judgment that somebody else has made. They ramp that judgment up. They, they echo it. They, they parrot it. And suddenly that judgment becomes, it becomes like globally accepted, even though 90%, 99% of the people who are sharing and, and passing on this judgment and passing it as if it were their own have not actually seen the thing or read the thing or heard the thing or whatever it might be. And therefore, I think just not doing it is better. Um, to return yes, to where we to started here. What, what are we talking about? Socks? No, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. <laughs> Holt or Hult? Yeah. I don't know. Holt. Nicholas Holt. Um, yep. To return to Nicholas Holt, uh, yep. true history of the Kelly Gang, etc. Mm. Uh, he's in it as yes. the evil constable Fitzpatrick, and he's very good in it. He's very vile mm. in it. I bet he is. Mm. I bet he is. Mm. I've never um, been disappointed by anything I've seen him in, which is why I don't want to see that film. And to return to the great mm. Elle Fanning, yeah, plays Catherine. She's in it. She yeah. does. Should <laughs> probably mention it. that. Yeah, I would have Should thought she's probably mention that. You, you're usually <laughs> the one who mentions these things, so I'm happy to leave it to you. Well. The thing is, Andrew, I love yes. I love how this is happening just like as if we'd scripted it. Because of course mm-hmm. we have. 
We have, mm-hmm. like, you know, painstakingly scripted it. Um, Elle Fanning is also the star of Woody Allen's movie, A Rainy Day in New York. Yeah. Woody Allen. Yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> and now I've heard of, of uh, Elle Fanning, too. <laughs> it's amazing. The whole, the whole first season. It is amazing. And I did say the second season is, has been, whatever you say, signed off on, uh, commissioned? Commissioned. I think that's the word we use. Oh, and can I just say one more thing? Sorry yeah. about this. Um, I don't normally have so much to say. Uh, when This was a play at, I think, Sydney Theatre Company quite, quite a while ago, quite a while before the... Uh, the film, The Favourite, came out. Did you know that? No. And uh, when I heard about this grant, I thought, oh, you know, uh, uh, this is... I felt a little a little sorry for Tony McNamara. I thought, wouldn't it be great if he was able to capitalise on all that Oscar success with a great big film with a huge budget? And, of course, these times that we live in now, it's actually a far greater capitalisation to have a rollicking TV series that everyone can watch on, I don't know, whatever it is, Stan. Yeah, on Stan. And so it's actually been worked out pretty well for him. There you go. Excellent. So, anyway, on to Elle Fanning and Woody Allen. Woody Allen, yes. Um, A Rainy Day in New York. This is a film that he shot in 2017. And Mm -hmm. um, it was meant to be the first film in a four-picture deal with Amazon. And then when the the sort of the great burst of... um, Discussion out of out of Me Too and Times Up, and the focus on um, claims of famous men who are guilty or otherwise, or at least accused, let's say, accused of okay. uh, sexual improprieties or assault or rape or whatever um, it might have been. Um, the spotlight turned again on the accusations made in 1992 um, about Woody Allen having allegedly. Um, sexually abused Dylan Farrow, who was then seven years old. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to go through the tawdry detail of that case any in any great detail, other than to say mm-hmm. he he was never charged. Um, there there have been conflicting sort of assessments of whether um, you know there was any kind of basis on which that that claim could be made, uh, whether mm-hmm. it was a product of Mia Farrow's sort of anger over the discovery of his affair with Sunni Previn and yada, yada, yada. It's a, it's a messy, messy thing. I have no idea what went on. I mean, how, how can I? How can any of us really know what went on um, other than to say it's had a, a devastating impact on Dylan Farrow and um, it would appear to have less of an impact on Woody Allen in terms of his career because he, he still gets None. to make films. This film had, had wrapped shooting in New York and uh, it was edited throughout 2018. The film was f- finalised by late 2018. And basically from, I think it was about October uh, through to January of 2018, various cast members in this film basically disowned it. They started, uh, they started talking about how had they, had they realised that, that or, or now they've had the opportunity to think more deeply about it. <clears throat> they regret their involvement in, in the film and they were donating oh, their fee yeah. to uh, Time's <laughs> Up legal campaign or to this shelter. How magnanimous of them. How many years later? No, 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 this is, this is months later. This is oh, like, no, what I mean is how many years oh, yeah, yeah. past the accusations? 25 years. Yeah, 25 so years. it's not like it's been unknown Indeed. to Indeed. anybody. Well, and, okay? and Ronan Farrow, uh, his, his, um, Dylan Farrow's brother, has 
written about this, I would say. And he had indeed written about it in 2016, right? So well before the pertinent, the pertinent thing yeah. here is that although the case was 25 years old, Dylan Farrow, Farrow had given an interview, I think, in 2014 that brought it up again, and she'd written a piece, I think. She'd written mm-hmm. a, an opinion piece for... Uh, I can't remember the publication off the top of my head. It may have been for Vanity Fair. I can't quite remember. Um, then Dylan Farrow, who was... Uh, sorry, Ronan Farrow, who was actually named Satchel when he was... Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is ostensibly the biological child of Woody Allen and Mia Farrow, although there is some suggestion that it's of Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow, be that as it may. He has basically been the chief prosecutor of of, um, the case against Woody Allen uh, in a variety of forums. And so he had had been out there in 2016. So even though Timothy Chalamet, who plays the lead in this film, is in his early to mid-20s, Elle Fanning is 22 now, so she would have been 20 at the time she was making this film, 19 or 20. Um, They were young enough not to have heard about it first time round, but they had... But, they certainly had ample opportunity to be aware of it because it was in the public um, arena again from 2014 and certainly from 2016, the year before the film was shot. So the idea that they only only now are hearing about this thing is slightly ludicrous, Impossible. I think. Um, Amazon dumped Woody yeah. Allen's four-picture deal. Uh, in practical terms, it was unreleasable. They couldn't yeah. market the film. So yeah. he then sued them um, mm-hmm. for $68 million, which was mm-hmm. supposed... This is $68 million US, which was supposedly the minimum that he would have earned under the terms of their agreement. Wow. Nice work That's, if you can get it, right? Nice. <laughs> I, mean, I have to say that the days of, of Woody Allen's films being a must-see for the film Buff yeah. are long gone. Yeah, and I don't think that this is going to change that perception, regardless of what you think about Woody Allen as a, you know, whether whether you sit on the he's been unfairly maligned or he's he's getting away with it side of, of that that fence. Um, mm. And I sit absolutely, totally on the fence, as, I, as I've indicated earlier. I mean, I just can't. I can't know. <laughs> Uh, it's a very painful place to be, I must say. You, this is, I would say that by now you must be so comfortable with those oh, palings. Oh. <laughs> this is I have a corrugated backside, let's that say. That you have been sat on the fence yes, I have. on an issue. Yeah. Um, it's because I, I have an open mind, Andrew. I don't leap you to do, judgment on do. these things. Um, mm-hmm. I, the film's okay. The film's okay, but it feels like a total retread. It feels like there were moments where I, I was watching Chalamet basically channeling this young, idealised version of Woody Allen. It reminded so me so many have before him, absolutely, and it really reminded me of Kenneth Branagh's performance in Celebrity. Um, there were, I think, that Elle Fanning has basically been cast as as a sort of a younger version of a younger Diane Keaton. Um, okay, it's it sort of. It, it was almost embarrassing at times. I thought watching her perform. I mean, you know, Elle Fanning is a, a thoroughly decent actor. I've seen her in, in many things, but I just felt I've only like seen her in the ten episodes, so I can't. I, I just felt that she was being cast in a role that it felt really, really forced. You know, it felt really like almost parodic and not in a good way. Yeah. Um, and and the, the subject matter, it's it, you know, it, it's just. It's just, it's at the very lighter end of Woody Allen's of, it's not terrible, but, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay. 
it's you know I don't I don't really I think if you've never seen a Woody Allen film, well I suppose you could watch this and go oh that was kind of fun. If, uh, if you have seen, seen a Woody Allen, Allen film, you're going to go, God, that's that's like a lot of others, but not as good. I would say if you've never seen a Woody Allen film, mm. you're never going to. And, <laughs> and that's fine. And that is completely fine. If you're somebody who sees films and you've never seen one, well, great. Good on you. You know, and you never have never seen any of those Terminator films. Yeah. I've never seen Dirty Dancing. Yeah. I've never seen... Uh, there's heaps of really mainstream films that people at work will make some reference to and I'll just not know what they're talking about and they'll be amazed and think I'm joking. And no, and you can get by. I, I've not seen the Terminator ones and there's other franchises like that that I've just never seen and that's fine. I'm still able to have some semblance of a life. Well done. Um, I'm going I'm to flag something that is about young people in New York wandering around aimlessly, which is pretty much what happens in a rainy day in New York, um, okay. that is worth seeing. Uh, and this is a series called Search Party. Um, oh, I watched a couple of minutes of that. A couple of minutes? Yeah. <laughs> Go yeah, and cast judgment. Yeah. I, I, no, no, no. I just thought, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. I, I, these kind of people, like if, if I was waiting in a queue to get something from a shop, you know, and I had to listen to these people in front of me, I would just combust, you know. Mm. I would have to weigh up my need to get whatever it is, maybe a cup of coffee, though I don't buy cups of coffee as a rule from a shop, but let's say it's a cup of coffee. I'd have to say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I'll have to have a cup of coffee somewhere else some other time because I cannot stand listening to these people talk. I... I That's hear, me. I hear you. I hear you. I, like, yep. I, I, I totally yep. hear you. I yep. really do. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, what I was r- ranting on about Twitter before and social media, yeah. this, is a, this is a great parody of the, <laughs> uh, the performative aspects of social media and of being, you know, out there in the world. The, the, the look at me uh, impulse, you know, it really is pretty great on that. It's basically... Alia Shawkat, who people may know from Arrested Development, um, from the uh, Sophie Hyde's film Animals, uh, which kind of... I think she's uh, great, Yeah, by the way. She's somebody that I would be happy to watch in something that was watchable for an adult. I'm an adult, so, you know... Well, the jury's out on that, but... uh, (laughs) 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 She she plays a character called Dory Seif, who is, you know, mid to late 20s, Really drifting. She's got a crappy job working as an assistant to a wealthy woman, um, played by Christine Taylor, who was Ben Stiller's wife in in real okay. life. Um, who was she? Was Marsha Brady in the Brady Bunch movie? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, she's she's kind of like drifting. She's got nothing really that gives her focus or purpose in life. And she's on unlike us, unlike us. <laughs> and on her way, she's on her way to brunch. And this is in the first episode, the very first episode. She's on her way to mm. lunch. And no, brunch, you said. Brunch, sorry, brunch. 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 And she sees a missing person sign on a telegraph pole and she recognises a girl she was at college with. And so she become, she tells her, her mates she's going to meet her boyfriend, Drew, and a couple of friends, Elliot, who's kind of like a trust fund kid who may be in sort of event planning. It's a bit hard to know exactly what he does, except that he seems to live a very, a very glamorous life. And, and it's really annoying. Uh, very, very annoying. People, tell and Portia, who's an aspiring actress, and Portia and Elliot live together and, and, you know, fabulousness is really the focus of their existence. 
and Drew and Dory live together, and I would say probably uh, misery is the focus of their existence. <laughs> they seem to be very unhappily coupled. And uh, and she tells them, she goes, oh, uh, you know, this. do you remember this girl, um, Chantal, from college? And they're kind of like, you know, Elliot and Portia are going, oh, yeah, she was pretty horrible. I didn't like her, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And Drew's going like, I have no recollection of her whatsoever. And then she eventually, they all start, they're all like bitching about her and what a terrible person she was. And then she goes, anyway, she's missing. <laughs> and, then, and then Elliot and Portia both hop on to kind of like, no, Portia starts like, oh my God. She starts tearing up. Elliot is on social media going, oh my God, you guys, <laughs> you'll never guess what's happened. It's terrible mm. and very dear friend. And it's like, it's just this kind of, owning this performative grief you know it's yes. it's really stuff it's funny. like that it's it very funny? funny it's very yeah, very okay. funny i think i think the pilot episode in particular is hilarious because it, it's very much like it's a it's a social satire at that point and and it remains that over the course of three seasons um <laughs> three three seasons yeah and it's basically the narrative is about they go they form a search party dory basically forms them into a search party because Dory becomes obsessed with them because it gives her life meaning. It becomes obsessed with the search, rather, for Chantal because it gives her life meaning. The others get roped into it, and it just goes... The whole thing goes completely off the rails. And it's funny, but it's also kind of compelling as this sort of, uh, you know, four investigators kind of uh, thing, Nancy Drew kind of um, mystery. Season... That's season one. Season two something goes horribly wrong and it, it's about attempting to cover that up. And then season three, it's the ramifications. So I, w- I would say it actually becomes this kind of, um, Dory becomes a kind of Raskolnikov character, you know, she okay. becomes <clears throat> in, enmeshed in a thing that's gone horribly wrong. And she, she grapples with, uh, the listeners might need to know the crime and punishment. Dostoevsky's crime and punishment. Um, I went to the market across the road from Raskolnikov's apartment, you know, and right. we all looked up and said, this is where he lurks. Mm. Anyway, don't want to say too much about the plot, but I reckon it's a rollicking good ride. It's it's mm. funny, but it's it's also very serious. It's a, mm. it's a, It's got this kind of good, um, you know... F- very, very um, propulsive plot, but it's also very much a social satire. Mm-hmm. Um, reminds me a little bit of Clueless uh, from, you know, the, the update of Emma back in yeah, whenever that I was, 1995. I know the film. I don't think I saw it. Mm. Anyway, it's it's well worth checking out. Do you guys remember that girl, Chantal Witherbottom? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, she sucked. Well, she's gone missing. What do you mean gone missing? She's like a missing person. Well, where is she? That's the question. Why? Portia, no one at the table knows. There's a, a show, speaking of many episodes, there I'm, I'm, I've watched a bit of it. I believe there are ten seasons. Ooh. The first season has, seven, well, 74 episodes. Oh, my God, what is this, Days of Our Lives? <laughs> it's about a bear what? called Grizzy and some lemmings. Grizzy yeah. and the Lemmings, right. and it is shot in the. It is it is a, an animated show yeah. from Canada, yeah. uh, French, I imagine. Though the, in there are English signs within. It's ostensibly about a bear and his nemesis, the Lemmings, and it's like <laughs> Tom and Jerry 
crossed with Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. It's full of violence and and speed and running and theft and they're, each is trying to, to harass the other and there's explosions. It's and it's it can play in any country because there's no language. There's just you know ex- sounds and, and uh, onomatopoeia. It's for children, obviously, and it's hilarious if you remember how how in, how frustrating Roadrunner was because obviously, I mean, I'll use a phrase. I'm not going to use the phrase. Carl can use it, but he never catches the Roadrunner. Wiley Coyote never catches the Roadrunner. Okay, and if you love the MGM, Tom and Jerry's, the violent ones, then I think you're going to enjoy Grizzy and the Lemmings. Right. Okay, it's dumb and great, and the uh, Lemmings are always breaking into Grizzy, who lives like a, as a ranger in the forest, into his house and stealing his snacks and and his sofa. He all just wants to lie on the sofa because he's a bear. You know that's what bears like to do. Apparently, it's just stupid and great. There are right. uh, uh, you you say according to IMDb, there are 52 mm. episodes, right? Yeah, and you said how many? Ten seasons? I said seventy-four. I thought, just said, because... I thought you were saying there were seventy-four episodes in each of these ten seasons. Well, well I, I I was looking down the list yeah. of and it, you know S one or SE one yeah, yeah. you know, on the side of the screen. It's on Netflix, right? And I'm looking down the screen and I'm in season one. Yeah, and I'm at seventy-four. They're not long. They're right. five or ten minutes. Seven, long. seven minutes, apparently. Okay. Yeah. It's just you know. Um, I, I'm, I'm not recommending it. I'm not telling you about it. I'm just saying that... You're merely it was, noting its existence. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to see something that the old traditions haven't died out, shall we say. Yeah. Very okay? good. Very good. Animals bashing each other up in cartoon form. It's good. Anyway, see. something I wanted to talk about very quickly is the Tour de France, which isn't on. It should be on right now. Everybody knows that. Well, it's been postponed to the end of August, but really... <laughs> Is that going to happen? Um, nobody knows, you know, with, with the whole COVID-19 situation. A lot of teams have been facing ruin because they have no racing, they have no income. The Australian team run by Jerry Ryan has not. He has guaranteed another two years of existence for Mitchelton Scott. Okay? Oh, now, one of the great riders of Mitchelton Scott, the South African Daryl Impey, who is the only South African to win the yellow jersey, though some say it was gifted to him by Simon Gerrans, well, Chris Froome, who has left Ineos, which used to be Sky, for the Israel Cycling Startup Nation team, has uh, been whispering in his ear. And there is a concern amongst lovers of the Mitchelton Scott team that Daryl Van Impey may leave to become the lieutenant of Chris Froome, a cyclist who some may say probably doesn't have another win in him of the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Richie Port, who used to be at Ineos when it was Sky, He's out of contract with Trek Segafredo at the end of the year, and he may return, which would be very sad for people who thought that he had wasted his best years as a lieutenant to uh, Bradley Wiggins and Christopher Froome, both uh, ostensible British riders, winners of the Tour of Sky. Now Ineos have just swept up the thing for the last few years. So even though the racing isn't on, the intrigue continues. The talks backwards and forwards across the table continue. Now, I've been watching a show 
about racing cycling, Carl. Yeah. It's on Netflix, okay? It's compelling. And what's why it's compelling is for a couple of reasons, because it's not old. It was all shot last year, so everything is still very fresh and contemporary. And it's about the team Movistar, the Spanish team. It's called The Least Expected Day. It's six episodes. It's very brisk. And what's very interesting about it is there doesn't seem to be anybody speaking the company line. Every single person who was interviewed surrounding the Tour de France and the Tour of Spain is speaking completely, honestly and critically, very, very critically of each other as writers or as staff members or as team directors. I'm not going to say everything goes wrong for the team, but if you're going to go into a major race with three leaders... It's, what could it's, go wrong? It's not going to be pretty, yeah, frankly. Right. You've got the world champion, Alejandro Valverde, who has just broken his back practically by doing something stupid that is attempting to do a wheelie a la Robbie McEwen or Peter Sagan and falling backwards off his bike. Ouch. Uh, uh, Nairo Quintana, already a Grand Tour winner, and the uh, uh, the cultural a man who feels uh, a lot of um disquiet culturally it's a spanish team and he is from colombia and he is a national hero in colombia with good for good reason he rose from very very uh, poor circumstances to become not just a professional rider but a grand tour winner as well there's Mikel lander the handsome young um cinematic matinee idol cyclist who is the one you want to put on the front cover of your magazine and it is uh, gripping, compelling, and and amazing. And it's, I'm I'm amazed by the candor. Like you, this would never have come out of um, a U.S. postal <laughs> documentary like this, and it would never have come out of Sky. And these everybody involved is is completely speaking. Uh, with with a, a relentless candor that you wonder, um, do you, do you, have, Did you, have you got any jobs lined up camera? after this? <laughs> You've got yeah. somewhere to go after they uh, look at this and go, ah, there's not a team, there's not a place for you on our team. Yeah, anymore. right. How bizarre. It's on Netflix. It was made by Netflix, actually. Right. And like I say, it's just six quick episodes and. Uh, yeah, the people who, who, who said that you should go see the Ayrton Senna documentary, even if you don't like motor car racing, um, I will say the people who have not any interest in racing cycling, and there's hardly any of you, I know it's one of the most popular sports <laughs> in Australia, but if you do know somebody who you can't grab to sit with you for six hours a night when the Tour de France or the Tour of Italy or the Tour of Spain is on, have we get them to come and sit with you and watch this. I reckon they'll, they'll have a ball. How many hours are they giving up to do that? Well, it's not each episode goes. It's kind of between thirty and forty minutes. Right, right, right. Okay, so, so not long, not right. much so compared they're, to they're uh, relatively Chrissy short, and Lemmings. Really, <laughs> relatively short stages. Yeah, yeah, Very yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> okay, um, Andrew. Before yes. we go, yes, we we, uh, we have to make a mere culpa. Oh, good. I like them. Yeah. Do you? Mere culpas. Mere culpas. How I see them. See, see. Uh, um, War of the Worlds. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Who released the album? Back in 1970. I, I, said, I said ELO, but was it Jeff Lynn? Uh, Jeff Wayne, mate. Jeff, Jeff Wayne. Wayne. The reason, oh. I, and I oh, think... Oh, how the, about that? Why did I... Because I so Jeff wrong? Lynn was the yeah. lead man in ELO. Yeah. And it sounds quite a bit like Jeff Wayne. Yeah. And and when you're, you know, how unprompted... That? How about that? Rummaging around. I'm pleased. I, I, I'm always... Every now and again, this... this <laughs> 
every now and again, probably twice in two years this has happened on my radio program where I have said, like last week, I said that, and you can pick me up on this, Catherine Deneuve was in Louis Marle's uh, L'Ascenseur pour les Chauffeaux. And, of course, straight away someone texted in and it was Jamma Rowe. Of All course right. it was Jamma Rowe. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A, not, and, and it's not a, I'm not going to say Great it's soundtrack. a mistake to make. It's a stupid mistake to make. Well, if you like the soundtrack to that, Carl, you should listen to last week's Jazz on Saturday because it was included something from that and it was all jazz from the cinema. Or I, could go, or I could go to my uh, CD rack and put it on. <laughs> yeah, but you don't get to hear me. That's why people listen to the radio, man, because they get to hear me <laughs> saying really interesting, funny, saucy stuff that spices up their morning. Oh, dear. And if you'd like to hear more saucy Andrew Young, <laughs> be, tune in, be sure to tune in to future episodes of The Clappers. That's right. And if you want to hear more Mia Carlpers, oh. uh, tune in for future episodes of The Clappers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 